Today on Locked On Canadians, I have a very special guest to give me the inside information on Pierre-Luc Dubois. We're going to talk about the draft as always, where would be a good fit for Josh Anderson, and some more fun stuff. All that's coming up on today's Locked On Canadians. Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 854. My name is Laura Stab, also known as The Active Stick, and today on Locked On Canadians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you get your team every day, free and available everywhere. I don't have my wonderful co-host, Scott Matla. I have the equally wonderful other Scott Matla, um, <laughs> our friend Jay Foster from Locked On Blue Jackets, also known as my favorite beautiful English boy. How are you? today jay and thank you so much for filling in i am doing good i was i should have said this before recording we should have just gone for the regular background and just pretended that i was scott i think that would <laughs> be really funny um it's not memorial day weekend here so everyone else is enjoying their long weekend in the in the network and i think you and me and the like four other canadian hosts are uh, <laughs> exactly well i had a long weekend last week i don't know if you did though no, but I work from home. So like all of my weekends are long weekends. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, so Jay's here uh, to give me a lot of information. I think the first thing we should do, this was a question that was asked. I asked the listeners, you know, like, what, what should I talk about today? And somebody said, who would you rather have fill in other than Scott? Now, as we know, Jay is the other Scott. We, they've never been seen in the room in the same place at the same time. So, you know, we, we do kind of we, we do kind of have Scott. But I was trying to figure out like which Canadian I would have fill in. Uh, and it would be Josh Anderson, but not for the reasons you think. Yes, he's very beautiful to look at. But also, other than Samuel Montembeau and Jake Allen, I find that a lot of the other Habs are very hesitant to talk and show any kind of personality. I find that Samuel Montembeau shows a lot of personality and he's got a lot of thoughtful responses to media questions. Whereas somebody like Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield probably have a lot more media training and they have a lot more generic responses. But Josh Anderson does have a little bit more... Um, he's a little bit more articulate. He does show a little bit more varied responses. And so we're thinking about Josh Anderson and you know, lots of Canadians fans want to know... Can he be traded while he still has value in order to get something from the, for back for the Montreal Canadiens' future? Um, and we're kind of thinking about where would be a good fit. Now, I knew that I know that the New Jersey Devils covet Josh Anderson, but they cannot have him. Um, I was thinking about other places where he would be a good fit. As much as it pains me to say this, the Ottawa Senators would be a good fit, but they can't have him either. Um, and the Leafs simply do not have cap space for him. What are your thoughts, Jay? So here's a here's an outside the box uh, suggestion, San Jose. Ooh, San Jose has like two and a half top six wingers right now. Um, they have cap space out the butt, and <laughs> they're going to be doing a bunch of stuff this off season. You know, I think I, I don't know what they would do to make the the. Um, Return I don't know what they would just make that trade even. 
Like, right. I don't know what they would give up. I'm not super up on what the Sharks cap situation is. I could probably pull that up real quick. Um, but as far as I'm aware, the Sharks can afford him. They have 14 million in cap space right now. Like, do you move, I don't know, do you do like one for one Kevin LeBanc and Josh Anderson? You know, um, that gets you out of the, the Anderson contract, gets you a worse player, I think, in LeBanc. But... LeBanc is only under contract for one more year and he's making, I think, 4.75 instead of um, whatever Anderson is making, which I think is like Mm 5.5 for the next four seasons, you know? So it's, you take on, you you don't get as good of a player as Anderson, but you get that cap flexibility that I think Montreal is going to need pretty soon because looking at their cap friendly page, it is... uh, it's right now it's it's tough and they've got to you know they've got to sign Cole Caulfield to his next contract. I mean you've got to think that Caulfield is getting what? 8 9 8 plus. 8 plus. Whatever exactly. it is it's 8 plus. That that's that's what we think. And right now they have 9.3 million in cap space. So like there's there's the Caulfield contract and then what like what do you do after that? You know, you've got a bunch of UFAs to resign. Um you know, do you do you pick up some guys on the cheap? You know, uh, Kirby Duck is going to need a new contract in the next couple of years. Jake Evans is going to need a new contract in the next couple of years. Like, you have, what, four guys locked up mm-hmm. post-2026. Exactly. It's, guys not, it's not a whole lot. It's Suzuki, um, Gallagher, and Anderson, you know, plus Caulfield when he resigns. So, like, I think cap flexibility is what the Canadians need right now. And I think the big thing with that, too, is that Gallagher at this point, like, he's so injury prone and he spends so much time, uh, off, you know, not on the roster, essentially, that I don't think that he's an attractive trade piece for anybody. I feel like maybe three years ago, everybody wanted a player like Gallagher. And now it's just like he's past his prime. He played way, through way too many injuries. And he's he's not durable at this point. So he's not really an attractive trade option. Um, and then Nick Suzuki is a non-starter for pretty much any kind of offer that the Canadians would get unless it's like literally an elite superstar uh, center. Center. Uh, and so I think for me, like Josh Anderson is the one with value that other teams would be willing to take on. And he also gets, you know, he, he makes a lot of money because the other thing too, is that you have to think about it. Like there's players on this team, like for example, Yoel Armia or Mike Hoffman or whatever that Habs fans want to trade, but those tend to be more deadline type players like Josh Anderson. It's got to be a team that has a real fit for him, a real need for him. I mean, I like him on the Canadians. I like what he brings to the table, but he just is the most attractive trade piece on this roster at this point. Right. And like, you can't trade everyone. That's the thing. I feel like I see all of the time. I am only kind of very tangentially tuned into what Habs Twitter is saying. And that's just because <laughs> Laura and Scott and I have a group chat where we, uh, where we talk about these kind of things, but you can't, I feel like they're like trade everyone, but like four guys. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. So you trade Hoffman, you trade Amir, you trade whoever, Rempelik. Who do you replace them with? That's exactly it. It's like, I, I get that the, there's a temptation where you want the younger players to kind of make the team and all of that, but you still need depth pieces. And 
I think that what Josh Anderson brings at this point in terms of veteran presence and sort of like an energy that he brings and a joy that he brings when people watch him play, like I wouldn't mind if he stuck around. It's just if you're looking for a long-term future, now's the time to trade him before he gets too old to be attractive. And, yeah, you know, that he... sounds so awful, too old to be attractive. I know, he's 29 <laughs> right now. He's going to be 20, he's going to be 33 when that contract is done. There you, you go. Know? Exactly. It, it is it is downhill. Sorry, buddy. Like he's younger <laughs> than I am, but it is downhill from here <laughs> in terms of value in the NHL. Exactly. You know? Which is which it sucks. It it feels unfair to say that he's, you know, on the way out at 29 years old, but that's just the way that this league operates. You know, how often do guys over the age of 30 get traded and are uh, net value? Yeah. He, exactly. is, he is losing value. You know, he is he is that car that you buy, and then the second you drive it off the lot, it drops in value. You know? Mm-hmm. Speaking of sorry, value... Like, sorry, Josh Anderson. We love Josh Anderson, <laughs> but... <laughs> we do, and we, we actually adore Josh Anderson. But speaking of value and cars, we're going to talk about draft. We're going to talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, and that's all coming up in just one moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right, and you know it. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know if the part will fit or you're going to get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride! eBay Guaranteed Fit is only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's go for draft first because we're kind of in a, you know, a fun position where your team has the third overall spot and my team has the fifth overall spot. And I want the player that your team is likely to pick. <laughs> Let's talk about, are you, are you guys set, you know, or on Locked on Blue Jackets, are you guys set on Carlson? I think so. It's it's weird. It, it feels like there should be way less moving parts than there are, but the Ducks are just such a wild card. So that the, the Blackhawks, if they, if they draft anyone but Bedard, then it's madness. Madness, you know? Um, the Ducks, I feel like, they are not immune to the propaganda. They are not immune to the discourse. And they are, I think, in the same way that the Blue Jackets are, they are a team that goes off the board. You know, I think about the Mason McTavish at third overall a couple of seasons ago. Like, no one expected that. Um, and that kind of messed up the draft rankings for the rest of, like, the top 10, you know? Um so who knows what the Ducks are going to do? Right now, I'm assuming the Ducks are going to pick for Adam Fantilli, second overall. He's my second overall rated player on the on the board. Like, if the Ducks take anyone but him, in my mind... They're making a mistake. You break your ankles getting to that stage to draft Adam Fantilli third overall, you know? Yeah. But I, I'm seeing arguments that they should take Mitchkov second overall, which I think is a valid option. The Ducks are still a couple of years away from competing. And they... Uh, they are pretty set at center right now. Bichkov is arguably the second best player in the draft, but he's a winger and he's Russian 
and he's stuck in the KHL for the next, I think, three seasons minimum. Yeah. You know, it's so 2026. Yeah, it's 2026. So, like, I think the risk, too, I think people are making, like, a really huge deal about um, all the other stuff surrounding it. And, and again, I don't want to get into, like, the, you know, the unfortunate story involving his family and all of that. Like, I think anybody who's picking him is taking that risk. They're saying it's going to take a long time. So the my, my feeling is that any team that picks him is not doing the calculation of whether he's worth that pick or not, like whether he's worth it at second overall, third overall, fourth, fifth. You know, we talked about the Habs uh, picking him. That's not the question that they're asking themselves in their minds is, is he worth the extreme amount of patience that it's going to take for him to get to the NHL if he ever does? Like there's a risk that he doesn't because the political situation could deteriorate. He could choose to stay there. He could have fear for his life and stay there. We don't know, right? There's so much unknown. But I think if you drown out all the noise, like a question that you're asking yourself is, can I wait for him? Not, is he worth this high pick? It's, can I wait for him? Um, and, you know, there's been some some conversations too about like, does his game translate to the NHL? If he has the skill that we think he has, he'll be able to adapt. Like that's the kind of thing, like that's the kind of hockey thinking and hockey sense that a skilled player like that would have. If you're picking him all the way there, you're going to be able to grow him into what you want to, you want him to be and have him fit in with his line mates on whatever team ends up picking him. Like I think. Matthew Mitchkov. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Um, Matthew Mitchkov could be the next Alex Ovechkin. Right. That's not hyperbole. That's not exaggeration like in terms of pure skill pure potential Matvey Mitchkov is going to be a star if he makes it to the NHL he is going to be a superstar player and I think there are teams out there that are definitely thinking this way do I think the Ducks are one of them maybe but it's why I don't necessarily think that he's the right fit for the Blue Jackets um and again you know he's he's a a, a winger not a center the Blue Jackets already have a ton of centers now we talked um, on, on Locked on Blue Jackets. We did a bonus episode yesterday, Sunday. And uh, we talked about, do the Blue Jackets go after Austin Matthews? Is Patrick Laine available in an Austin Matthews trade? If yes, then suddenly the future of this team looks a little bit like it could be Johnny Gaudreau, Austin Matthews, Matvey Michkov. But unless they, unless they figure out a way to get that 1C, to my mind, Michkov is, is not is not a fit for the Blue Jackets um, in a way that I think he probably is a better fit for the Canadians. Um, I think the Canadians are probably a little way back of the Blue Jackets in terms of a rebuild. I know that sounds stupid to say, considering the the Blue Jackets finished 31st in the league and the Canadians finished, what, 28th, 27, right. 28th. So, you know, on paper, the Blue Jackets are a worse team. However, I think the, the roster that the Blue Jackets have and the prospect pool that they have, the Blue Jackets are going to be competing sooner than the Canadians. Right, I and I think that's totally fair to say because I, I feel like this year was the year that they were supposed to take a step up, but everybody was injured at the beginning of it, so the season got derailed. Like I think the finish was somewhat lucky considering because they wouldn't have finished that low and had that high of a pick if they didn't have, like, like there was a, a point I remember that you were talking about, like, their what was their longest tenured defenseman had played 30 NHL games or something like that? It was ridiculous. So, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I was doing defenseman math for a while, and there was a point in the in the season where Zach Kerensky was Zach Kerensky was done 13 games in. Um, Jake Bean, I think, was done 15 or 16 games in. So there's two of your top four out for the season, and it's mid-November. Um, 
they had their most experienced defenseman was uh, Andrew Peak, because this was Erica Branson was injured, Wierenski was injured, uh, Jake Bean was injured, Vlaslav Gavrikov got traded. So it was Andrew Peak who I think finished the season with about 170 NHL games. Um, and then you had wow, <laughs> you had four defensemen that had under five NHL games. You know, so like they were, it was brutal. And you know, Canadian fans, you are familiar with this injury. With injuries, <laughs> um, I think you guys finished with a higher man games lost, but that was taking into account the Carey Price and the Shea Weber of it all. Right. So like, there's immediately a hundred. Not Shea Weber. Shea Weber was last year. This year, it was Carey. Oh, Price. was he? Was he traded? Yeah. La- he was traded to summer. Vegas. Yeah, it was last summer. Okay. So I remember him getting traded. To- I thought it was mid mid this season, but like no. you had. Carey Price was on. So there's immediately, before the season right. even starts, there's 82 man games lost. Um, the Blue Jackets started the season with a healthy roster. And then Patrick Liner got hurt five minutes into the second period of the first game. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. You know, they had two players that played 80 games. And that was Johnny Gaudreau and Andrew Peake. Everyone That's else incredible. played fewer than 80 games. You know? Yeah. I remember because I listened to Locked On Canadians for for various reasons, and you did an episode talking <laughs> about how was it Nick Suzuki was the only Canadian that played all eighty two games. Yes, that is true, and also it's because you love us, Jay. <laughs> it's because I love you guys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, because that you is are that is true. I do. We love Laura and Scott, but um, <laughs> and you know, I was listening to that and thinking, man, we didn't have anyone play all eighty two games this season. It was it was bad. It was rough. And that's the thing. So I feel like you are right in that the Blue Jackets are a little bit ahead in the rebuild just because the Canadians started a full year and a half later. Right. That was the big key. Um, And I want to talk a little bit more about the Blue Jackets. We're going to go into a little bit of a longer segment in just one moment because I want to talk about Pierre-Duc Dubois. And I also want to talk about picking off, uh, you know, like vultures, bits of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know our, our fans think a little, or our listeners think a lot, a, a lot of the Leafs are kind of tainted with a loser brush. I want to see if any team can turn that around. And that's all coming up in just one moment here on Locked On Canadians. All right, let's start with Dubois because I want to talk a little bit about him. He is a hot topic here. Uh, And I'm going to, for the sake of this conversation, just assume that he's going to stay in Winnipeg for the next year uh, and he's going to want to sign with the Montreal Canadiens in the next offseason when he's a UFA. Uh, And that is um, that is kind of I think we're just going to eliminate all the drama from trading all the like, you know, uh, everybody's talking about what the Winnipeg Jets wanted, who has the leverage, who's going to present the best offer. For the sake of this conversation, what would Pierre-Luc Dubois bring? And this is one really important thing. What went wrong in Columbus? Because people have some preconceived notions about his value based on what went wrong in Columbus. So first up, Pierre-Luc Dubois immediately, to my mind, becomes your second line center behind Nick Suzuki. Your center depth immediately gets better. I know Kirby Dak is a very good young center. I still wonder if his game is better served on the wing, but Pierre-Luc Dubois is one of the game's few remaining legitimate power forwards. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think, is what Canadians fans thought Josh Anderson was going to be when they traded for him. And again, no disrespect to Josh Anderson. We love Josh Anderson. 
Dubois plays his game, but better. Um, and he's a legitimate center. Um, and I know that he left Columbus on bad terms. Um, and I was frustrated at the time by by the 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 you know the drama of it all and what went wrong in Columbus and did John Tortorella chase him out of town and why doesn't anyone want to stay in Columbus? But like I don't think Pierre Dubois is ever going to talk about what went wrong in Columbus, which means that all we have to do is speculation. I don't think speculation helps anyone. I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, and while I don't necessarily, and this is the thing it always comes down to, is that he's got attitude problems. He's a, a crybaby. He just throws tantrums when he doesn't get his own way. And that's why he ended up in Winnipeg. And he's going to do it again in Winnipeg. He's going to throw a tantrum and get sent to Montreal, which is where he wanted to be at the, at the beginning of all of this, you know? Pierre-Luc Dubois, when all of that went down, I'm just going to double check um, how old he is because I'm pretty sure when all of this went down, he was, what, 22, 23 years old. He's 24, 23, right? I think. He's 24 right now, so this would have been 22, 23. And I think that's the other thing, too, is that, like, you know, people say that he was a diva or blah, 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 but everything that we're hearing is from other sources, right? He's never come out mm-hmm. and said anything or really even so, made too sorry, much of a deal just to get the timeline. So this was 2020. This was January of 2020. This was three years ago. He was 21 years old. You tell me that when you, if you're 21, you are in the NHL and he, he was a 19 year old rookie, I believe. So he went basically straight into it. Uh, He had one final year in the queue and then went into, went into the NHL. I don't know. I I have a problem with people calling him a, a diva and a baby and giving him attitude problems because I think he did the, he did it the only way and the best way that he knew how at the age of twenty one, and I am always going to advocate for the players playing where they want to because there seems to be this this weird pervasive thing in NHL fans that they are owed by the players and the team is owed by the players. That's just that's not how it works. The the players don't owe the teams anything. They don't owe the owners anything. They don't owe the GMs anything, you know. And you see it a lot when contract extension comes around, you know. And um, it's this case of, well, if they really appreciated the team and if they had loyalty, then they would sign for league minimum, even though they're 50 goal scorers, you know. And I think we're seeing a lot of that with Cole Caulfield, which is he's a money grabber and he's greedy and why doesn't he just sign for five mil and, you know, help the team out? Like, that's not how it works. Cole Caulfield doesn't owe this team anything. Pierre Dubois didn't owe the Blue Jackets anything. Um, And if he wants to go and play in Winnipeg, fine. If he wants to play in Montreal, fine. Like that's, that's what I want for him. I want him to be able to play where he wants to play. Um, And I think it's, it's unhelpful to the, the narrative and the discourse to, paint him with the brush of attitude problems when his biggest crime was saying that he didn't want to be somewhere and then following through at the age of 20. He's a kid. He's still a kid. He was a baby, right. you know, but like a, an emotional baby, not a tantrum throwing baby. Like I think a lot of people are, are calling him. And I think one of the most important things is that we kind of have to f- remember is that players in the NHL have so little control over where they end up. I mean, in theory, like we live in a society where in theory, I know it's like there's lots of, you know, availability of jobs and stuff like that. But if you're not happy at a certain place of employment and there's an option to go somewhere else, you are free to go. 
that choice isn't made for you at the age of 18 and then you have to like you don't get control over your own destiny until you're like 25 you know what i mean like that is it's a huge thing that seven years where other people get to tell you where you work and where you live that's it, it's an incredible amount of control that you're giving up yeah you make a lot of money but i mean at the end of the day it's it's just it's so i was just thinking about it like if you don't have a no trade clause even at the age of 35 you're playing somewhere they could just like ship you wherever they want right you get so little control over where you work and where you live and i think that's that's totally fine for him to 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 express that i think you know any kind of measure you can take back from capitalism <laughs> any kind of control you can take back i think i'm all for it make your money go wherever you want live where you want make that decision and you don't know the team or, or city or anything and you know like i think i think that's kind of the thing with with cole caulfield as well like how many players have that kind of talent if you have that kind of talent use it use it and get money like i remember like with marion hosa like he kept switching teams until he won a stanley cup and people called him entitled yeah if i had that kind of talent <laughs> i would take control over my destiny too like he, you know, he wanted to win a Stanley Cup. He's an NHL player. How many years do you get to play in the NHL? And how many people have your kind of talent? You know, just take control. So like, that's kind of how I feel with Pierre Duc Dubois is that I understand where that idea comes from. I just think it's a little bit unfair to him. And it's a little bit unfair to say that that's a reason that he doesn't belong on this team. Um, but I do think that like everybody who says don't give up assets for him, if he intends to come here, and he's only going to sign a one-year deal in order to take control of his future next year, and that it's an option for the Habs, don't give up assets because you're going to be fine without him. You're going to be a lot better with him. You're going to be fine without him, so don't give up assets. Yeah, I've seen a lot of, like, well, I would take... What was that? I would take uh, Jordan Harris in a... Um, not not Jordan Harris, excuse me. Uh, I would take Kanguli in a, in a Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. I'm like, well, the Habs don't have to give up Kanguli. Why would they? You know, like they? I think it's it's tough because there's there's a weird power play going on here between I think Montreal and Dubois and Dubois and Winnipeg and Winnipeg and Montreal and like I'm fully expecting Pierre Dubois to sign his offer sheet, his one year offer sheet, and go to free agency. And then it's any team that can make him a good offer that he wants to play at. Like he could get a better offer from somewhere else, but he wants to play for his hometown team. He likes the moves they've made. Or he can look at the Montreal Canadiens and be like, you haven't actually made enough moves that make me confident in the future. So I'm going to go sign somewhere else. Yeah. And he's or perfectly they entitled don't have to do that. For it. Or they don't, or this, or that, or, you exactly. know, he, I think it's, it's assuming that he's just going to waltz straight to Montreal in free agency, I think is, is a not helpful attitude. To have with all of this, um, but the the discourse that I have seen about what Montreal should give up for him is it's again it's not helpful to anyone exactly. because if Montreal really wants this player, and I think at this point it's pretty well understood that he would like to play in Montreal, and that Montreal is interested in because then and again they're not if you were going to be a contender next season. And Dubois was that final piece to give you that extra depth to really take you over the top. Sure, give up a first-round pick, give up Jordan Harris, give up Kirby Dark, whatever. They would all be dumb moves, but I could understand it a little bit more if Pierre-Luc Dubois was, like, the final piece to the puzzle. He's not. This team is not going to become a Stanley Cup contender with Pierre-Luc Dubois, so, like, you can wait a year and... 
if he gets traded somewhere else by Winnipeg and signs there, whatever. Like, I don't know. It just, it's, it feels really, it feels really melodramatic to have all of this panic. And I get it because I do the same thing of, well, what if, what if this player wants to come? What if, what if this, what if that? And like, I think it's a slightly different conversation because players never want to come to Columbus in the way that I think French Canadian players are always like, man, playing in Montreal would be really cool. Or right. you know, Ontario born players are always like, well, obviously I want to play for the Leafs. You know, the, the, the Blue Jackets don't have the same uh, historical draw. Right. You know, we're only now getting to the point where you have players that grew up watching the Blue Jackets play. And, you know, in 20 years time, maybe you'll have a bunch of Ohio born Columbus born and raised players that, are like, I yeah, want to come home. I want to come home. You know, and yeah. you see that a little bit with Jack Russell, with Sean Corrali, um, you know, uh, other guys. But it's, I don't know. I, I, I've lost my train of thought a little bit here, which happens all <laughs> the time because well, I'm very, very stupid. But you were not stupid. You cannot say that on this show. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it is true that like there is a draw. But the thing is, like, the whole idea about, you know, an Ontario born player wanting to go back to Toronto or a French Canadian player wanting to come back to Montreal, a huge piece of that puzzle is bringing success back. Like, nobody, like, when the Canadians suck, nobody wants to play here. And that's fair. It's totally fair. Like when I dream of playing for the Montreal Canadiens, I'm dreaming of winning with the Montreal Canadiens. I'm dreaming of giving kids the same feeling I had as a kid when I would see them win games, when I would see, you know, at, at this point, like I'm so old, <laughs> uh, when they would see, you know, Saku came back, when they would see the team like make a playoff run like they did. And I think it was 2014 at this point. It's so like, or 2021, you know, there's like, those are the feelings that you want to invoke in people. You don't want to come here and continue mediocrity so a large part of the draw that a lot of these teams have these historical teams whether it's the rangers the bruins whoever these like historical big franchises is that the idea of coming here is not just coming here it's winning here as well and that is a huge draw so i think you know the conversation is moot if the canadians don't make strides and like you said if Pierre de Dubois isn't a piece for like you know a year from now it could just really not make any sense at all for either of these two to court each other. So I feel like we just, you know, we just kind of have to, I just wanted to dispel the whole diva idea, the whole diva attitude. Yeah, yeah. And just have like a little bit more of an open mind about that. I think he's done a lot of growing up over the past couple of years. Um, I think he's been a leader for the Jets in the way that he never really got the opportunity to do for the Blue Jackets. And like, again, we I don't remember if I mentioned this earlier, if I mentioned it off mic, but like, Looking at the Blue Jackets roster right now, I would take Pierre-Luc Dubois back on this team like that. No questions asked. Um, I think he fits perf- I think he fits a lot of teams. He is he is a very prototypical NHL player that every single team would take if you look at him on paper. But because of that one shift under John Tortorella that got clipped and gift to the heck and back, like it's suddenly he he is a diva and i'm like no he's not a diva he's just a 21 year old idiot <laughs> as all of us were at the Who, age yeah of if you were not an idiot at 21 like you're a liar <laughs> i don't believe you, you know 100 percent 
A hundred percent. All right. We've got a few minutes left. So let's really quickly pick on the Toronto Maple Leafs only because I thought you did a great episode about uh, Austin Matthews and whether the Blue Jackets could could get him. And also our good friend JD uh, did one about William Nylander going to San Jose. So let's talk about the Leafs big five. It's a core four, their big five. And let's pick one team to trade each person to. So Austin Matthews, Columbus Blue Jackets. In a nutshell, why? Because he is immediately that franchise center. Um, and just we don't have to go into the, the entire episode because we talked for, I think, 33 minutes yesterday about whether Austin Matthews would make a good... Go a check good out Locked on Blue Jackets, Jackets listeners. Listen <laughs> but I don't want... If, if you can trade for Matthews, to my mind, you do it if you have a sign and trade. You know, I, I don't want him unless he comes with that contract extension already in place, you know? Um, but yeah, I think you need that guarantee. makes this team a playoff contender. Um, and I think, you know, you look at the, the elite wingers that this team has. I think Matthews makes a lot of sense. Um, again, talked about it a little bit on this episode. I don't know what Matthews wants to do. You know, it was very clear that, G- that Gaudreau wanted to go closer to home. It was very clear that Matthew Kachuk wanted out. Um, you know, I don't, you don't hear a lot of the similar, the, the same things from Matthews. So like, it's tough to know. Does he want to go back to Arizona? Well, Arizona might not have a team in a year's time. So like, it's tough to say, does he want to play in America? Does he want to play on a bigger stage? Does he want to play? Like, is he happy on that big stage in Toronto? Does he want to play in a smaller market? You know, I have no real beat on what Austin Matthews wants. So it's really tough to say, but I would love him in Columbus. I really would. And I think that there is part of part of it is how does Toronto handle this like this drama that they had in the off season? Like I, I feel like it was way more dramatic than it needed to be. And we talked about it on our show uh, previously, so we won't get too too deep into that. Just in case any of these other players are unsatisfied, let's do William Nylander. Okay, here's a hot take. I think that again, nobody get mad at me. I think that he would do great in an Ottawa Senators uniform. Mm-hmm. I just never want to see him in one ever. No, that would be that would ever. be a bad place. Um, that is the we can't have nice things but yeah you're right i'm just gonna pull up the the sends roster because i'm not super familiar with it um again he is a he's an elite winger he immediately takes that team from being very good to being great will to be there in october it seems unlikely at this hopefully point. not <laughs> nylander would do a long way to replacing to bring cat and then some yeah it would it would really take the sting entirely out of it and make it a net positive uh, i also would love to see nylander in seattle like i think mm-hmm. um one of the things that i didn't realize was just how sort of grindy and tough seattle was and i think that they could do with a little bit more finesse a little bit and i know they're you know they're, they're still building whatever it is they're that's going to be their identity but I was just so impressed with them in the playoffs and I think part of it is not just persistence it's not just toughness it's not just being tough to play against I think they need a little bit more finesse and they're much closer than they looked at the beginning of their existence really when they when they drafted all those players and we were like what are these people yeah. doing and they have a ton of cap space right now and, and the only really big contract coming up is is Manny Benares. there you go they don't like what their highest paid player I think is making five and a half million right now like mm-hmm. it's crazy and they just went to the conference finals uh they went to the division division finals i've i've already forgotten everything that's happened in they were eliminated by dallas i believe so they went to this they just went to the second round in the second year of existence second year yeah 
it's fantastic. Like, honestly, like that's so promising. Um, and so that's another, you know, that's another contender for Nylander. And we'll let you listen to Locked on Sharks for the, uh, for the Nylander <laughs> to Sharks uh, idea. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about Morgan Riley, because that's kind of an interesting situation. Like, I, I do think that if you look at it objectively, he has underperformed uh, relative to what was expected of him. But at the same time, he's still an extremely strong defenseman. And so for me, I feel like Toronto's still the best fit for him. He just hasn't had a lot of other pieces around him. And Toronto's uh, over-reliance on Justin Hall is a big, big, big uh, question mark about their decision-making. But I also feel like he would be great in Tampa, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, but that feels unfair, to to say the least. Um, Yeah. Honestly, Morgan Riley, looking at the, the the big five, as it were, like he might make the most sense to be a Canadian. Oh, yeah, 100%. The Canadians don't have a defensive identity right now. They can fix it yeah. any way they want to. They can create it and mold it. They've got some prospects coming up. Like, we he still signed have... until the, the heat death of the universe. There um, you go. He's still... He's still young. He, he also well, brings with him. He brings Tessa so... with him. So for me... <laughs> Yeah, that would be that would be to my mind. If if you're looking at the big five and you're like, which one would fit in Montreal? It's to me, it's either Riley or Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner. I would take Mitch Marner in a Canadian's uniform like that. It would be so funny. Lifelong. Everyone would hate it. Everyone would be so mad. Oh Um, yeah, his dad would be so mad. (laughs) Oh, his dad would be furious. But like, can you imagine a line of Caulfield, Suzuki, Marner? I can. Like, <laughs> I have a lot. <laughs> to me, that sounds like a real good time. Um, and for me, really, like, and, and that's it. Like, for me, when I look at Mitch Marner, he could fit on a lot of teams. I know a lot of people think mm-hmm. that Mitch Marner is the cause of, you know, the fact that they can't get past the first shot. I think it's institutional, guys. I don't think it's one player, listeners. I think I think Marner can be, you know, can get over that with a little bit more, uh, with a little bit of Marty. Let's say Marty can can kind of bring that 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 him out of that funk or whatever that block that mental block he has. I think the one player that I don't think should go anywhere and he has a no movement, so that's pretty uh, is John Tavares because I can't think of anywhere else that he's a better fit for than the Toronto Maple Leafs. I literally can't. I looked. I'm like, nope. I can't. I can't think of a better fit for him than the Toronto Maple Leafs. No, and I think that again they're going to struggle with that contract. He's making 11 million. He's 32. Um, of the five, I think he's the he's the least likely to get moved. But if you ask me, he is the least important of the five. Right. Yes, he's the captain. Yes, he's the leader. But he's aging. He's starting that decline. We saw that we saw that a lot this season. I think it felt like this season specifically, he had a big decline in, you know, just his his skating and his speed. He's never been a fast player, but um, I remember I saw, when I was in San Jose, the Leafs were in town, and uh, Eric Carlson scored the game winner in overtime on a breakaway, and watching John Tavares try to catch up with Eric Carlson, who is, I think, older than him, Mm-hmm. Uh, was just painful, you know. I think he's he's really on the way out. Like, don't don't send me hate for this, Leafs fans. If there are any Leafs fans listening to this, but like, if you can only keep four of those five players, like, I would send John Tavares to out to a farm. <laughs> 
you know. Out. Yeah, I, I get it though. He's he's just getting a little bit older and mm-hmm. you know, he's been banged up and stuff. So I totally get it. Um, so that's our show for today. Um, I want to thank Jay for sitting in for Scott, other Scott for sitting in for, <laughs> for, 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 you know, this dimension, Scott, um, and tell the lovely listeners where they can find you and your work. Uh, yeah, so I am online at underscore Jacob Foster, J-A-K-O-B-F-Y-S-T-E-R. I can't in good conscience recommend rooting for the Blue Jackets or paying attention to the Blue Jackets right now. Uh, but if you want to do that, you can do that at uh, Locked on Blue Jackets. We are at L-O underscore Blue Jackets on Twitter. And you can find us wherever you can find Locked on Canadians. Uh, every podcast platform, we're on Sirius XM, and uh, of course, YouTube. And I want to thank all our listeners for listening today. Like I said, uh, please subscribe and tell your friends. Uh, we like, you know, we like we like for new people to discover us. Scott will be back tomorrow. And later this week, we have tons of more draft stuff planned. So please stick around for that. You'll find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. Um, and you'll find me at The Active Stick. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back with Scott tomorrow.